Hi, this is Dan. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I trust that it'll encourage you and build your faith. If you'd like to connect with me further, visit my website at revivalnow.com. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at RevivalNowDanSteep and Twitter at RevivalNowDan. You can also download the Revival Now app. Enjoy the podcast and share it with a friend. Welcome to the Dan Steep Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the, the millennium. Uh, I did a, a teaching about the millennium, uh, an episode not long ago, about what you need to know about the millennium. I titled this one, Why I Am a Premillennialist, and I could have easily just uh, titled this, What You Need to Know About the Millennium, Part 2. But I want to share some key points as to why I believe that the premillennial view of the millennium is uh, the strongest, uh, most scripturally supported uh, view on the millennium uh, that, that's out there. And so here we go. Why I'm a premillennialist. You know, we're, we're talking in the realm of Bible prophecy, and the purpose of Bible prophecy is readiness to be ready to meet the Lord when He comes, that we might participate with Him in the the unfolding of end-time events. So it's readiness. Bible prophecy is not intended to scare you, but to prepare you. And I want to share with you uh, three, go into some, some depth, uh, about the three main views of the millennium. And these are the what I would say the three main views of Christianity. And by Christianity, I mean those who follow the Apostles' Creed, those who believe in and trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, those who believe in heaven and hell, in, in the uh, virgin birth and the resurrection of the dead— all of those things. So I'm talking about Christianity. I'm not talking about uh, what the Mormons believe or the Jehovah's Witnesses believe, because while there are some very good people that are caught in the deceptive teachings of those cults, those really, those cults, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness, are, um, they're really sheep or, or wolves in sheep's clothing. So I'm not talking about the the strange eschatological views or, or teachings on end-time theology that, that come from those veins, but from the general Christian view. So those three views are, first of all, the amillennial view. Amillennial. When you put the letter A in front of any word, it means the opposite of. And so the amillennial view is that uh, is, is a view that says that a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth isn't going to happen. Amillennial, the amillennial view didn't even come into existence till around 350 A.D., so 350 years after the death of Christ. 350 years of church history unfolded 
before the amillennial view came into being. And uh, the amillennial view begins with the first coming of Christ, and it ends with the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. And the amillennial view just believes that uh, this millennium is a long period of time, not a literal 1,000 years. That the, the millennium is a spiritual reign and not a literal reign. And in the amillennial view, both God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom develop over the same period of time. Now, the amillennial view believes in the second coming, and then that there is a general resurrection followed by a general judgment, and then eternity. This is just review, really, from an episode that I put out called What You Need to Know About the Millennium. Now, the, the review on the post-millennial view, which is a view that didn't come into being until the 17th century. So that's a lot of church history that unfolded before the post-millennial view ever came into being. The post-millennial view says that the millennium is a, a progressive, that basically there's going to be a progressive improvement of conditions on earth. Things are just going to continue to get better and better through the influence of the Holy Spirit and the church on the earth, and it will thus then usher in the second coming of Christ. Postmillennialists believe in a general resurrection, a general judgment, and then eternity. Now, the premillennial view, which I believe wholeheartedly, this is the view that was held by church fathers. All the church fathers held a premillennial view. By church fathers, we mean the apostles that you see of in the New Testament, and then those leaders who followed on the heels of the apostles. Church fathers are the people that are given the des designation that they, they knew and they operated under the apostles, but they didn't actually have firsthand interaction with Jesus himself as the apostles did. This view, premillennialism, was held by the church fathers, and it was uncontested for three centuries. It was the New Testament church's view and understanding of the millennium. This is the view that is best supported by the Bible, it's best supported by church history, and it's best supported by biblical scholarship. The premillennial view believes that there will be an increase in apostasy in the church. The word apostasy means to fall away. So there'll be an increase of apostasy in the church around the world, hearts growing cold, people falling away, and that's going to lead up to the end-time events, which will be the, the rapture of the church, which is the next major event on God's prophetic calendar. And from the rapture of the church, then there is a seven-year great tribulation, which culminates with the second coming of Christ, where Christ comes, literally, 
physically and magnificently to the earth. The difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ is that in the rapture, Christ never actually sets foot on the earth. He comes on the clouds and he catches the church, the body of Christ, up in the air with him. And then when Christ does come in his second coming, we're going to come with him. And he's going to win a mighty battle decisively, and then usher, that ushers in this literal millennium of a 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. That's followed by what is called the Great White Throne Judgment, which brings us to the new heaven and new earth and eternity. So that's a very quick review of the three main views of the millennium. Now, to the matter at hand, why I'm a premillennialist. First of all, we'll start with this. The date of the view, the date of the premillennial view. It was the only view of the first century church. It was uncontested until 354 AD. That's when the amillennial view came on the scene. But this amillennial view that came about in 354 AD, it becomes actually weaker as time unfolds. As time unfolds, it becomes clearer and clearer to everyone that the premillennial view of the early church is the only view that really holds water. Because the postmillennial view is by far the weakest view, and it didn't exist until the 17th century. So the very date of the premillennial view uh, attests to its authenticity and truth. Another reason why I'm a premillennialist is the sequence of the book of Revelation. John recorded his vision, which became the book of Revelation, with a systematic flow. And in the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation, in verses 1 through 6, it's the only passage in the Bible that mentions the 1,000-year reign of Christ, and it comes immediately after the second coming, which is spoken of in the previous chapter, in Revelation 19. So we're talking about sequence, a systematic flow. The millennium comes immediately, sequentially, after the second coming in this great vision, this book of Revelation. So, premillennial chronology is, I've laid out a little bit for you already, is this, the, the, is the next major event will be the rapture of the church, then the Great Tribulation, which is seven years long, and it's in two, three and a half year parts, and it grows in severity. The second half of the Great Tribulation being far more severe in terms of God's wrath and judgment being poured out on the earth. In fact, Jesus said, 
in Matthew 24, verse 22, that if God hadn't shortened those days, no one would have survived. So after the rapture and the great tribulation is the second coming, then the millennium, the final judgment follows the millennium, and then eternity, a new heaven and new earth with Jerusalem as the capital of the world forever and without end. In the book of Revelation, we see the Apostle John, who was given this revelation, his repeated use of the words, Then I saw. Then I saw. 32 times John says that in the book of Revelation. We're talking about the sequential flow of the book of Revelation and how it really supports the sequence of the book of Revelation and of which sequence is, is the premillennial view. Then I saw, 32 times, John writes in sequence as the events unfold. What I'm saying is, there is there's a, a rhythm and a flow to this book. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, it basically gives us the three-part outline of the book. He's, Jesus says to John, write down the, what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. So the things you have seen, the things now happening, and the things that will happen. And we have that. Chapter 1 of the book of Revelation deals with the things that you have seen. Chapters 2 through 3 deal with the things now happening, the things that were now happening in John's day. And then chapters 4 through 22 deal with the things that will happen. There are four ages within the book of Revelation. The church age which is in chapters 2 and 3, the tribulation age, which covers um, uh, chapters 4 through 18, and then you have the millennium, the millennial age, and then the eternal age. So those are the four ages within the book of Revelation. So we're talking about the sequence. Think about this. The word church occurs 19 times in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, and zero times after that until the closing remarks in Revelation chapter 22. Why? Because the church was present and around in chapters 1 through 3, but then the church was raptured, and that's spoken of in Revelation chapter 4. That's why the church is mentioned 19 times in the first three chapters, and zero times after, until the closing eternal remarks in Revelation 22. The church was raptured. That's the sequence. The, the natural reading of the book of Revelation actually gives us a chronology of end-time events. The third reason that I'm a premillennialist is the resurrection. 
the resurrection. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. Then I saw thrones, and people sitting on them had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had, they had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark in their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. So in verse 4, it mentions the tribulation saints coming back to life, literally. It literally says they came back to life. There, there says, there's no imagery here. This is a literal resurrection. And in the Greek, the Greek word for resurrection uh, is that, that's used in Revelation is anastasis. And it's used 12 times in the book of Revelation. And of those 12 times, 11 times it's referring to physical life. In verses 5 and 6, this word anastasis, or resurrection, the word resurrection, it's uh, 42 times it's used in the, New, in the New Testament. So 12 times in the book of Revelation, 11 times referring to physical life. 42 times this word is used in the New Testament, 41 of them referring to a bodily resurrection. And this resurrection falls on the heels of the second coming that's spoken of in chapter 19, verses 1 through 21. So the millennium must occur after the return of Christ because neither the return of Christ nor the resurrection have yet to occur. Additionally, you have the binding of Satan in verses 1 and 2 here of chapter 20, it, the, the binding of Satan is challenging for both the amillennialist and the postmillennialist views. So let me read those two verses. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He sees the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The, the sequential way in which the book of Revelation is written is challenging for the amillennial and the postmillennial view because both of those views contend that Satan was bound all the way back at the first coming of Christ, the first advent, when Jesus was born of a virgin into the world. And they teach that he's been bound during the church age. But the Bible teaches, and world events confirm that Satan is anything but bound in this present age. So, 
the reading, and it's very clear it's talking about Satan. It, it, it's, it's, it's stated so overwhelmingly clear. First, called the dragon, then the old serpent, but then he goes on to say, who is the devil? Satan. Who was bound in chains for this thousand years, this millennial period of time. So the resurrection is another reason why I'm a premillennialist. Another reason, number four, the literal use of numbers. The literal use of numbers in the book of Revelation. And when I say the literal use of numbers, I mean numbers that are used not figuratively, not to represent something, but the numbers are used in a literal sense. Six times in chapter 20, the the thousand-year reign of Christ is mentioned, the millennium, and it's taken from two words, mille and anum. Mille meaning 1,000, annum meaning years. It's, it's a very literal use of the number. So my question for those who would basically question this literal use and interpretation of numbers is, why would John refer to the literal word six times if that was not what he con- intended to convey? Most of the numerology that's giving to, given to us in the book of Revelation are given to us in literal terms. So that's John's precedent. The overwhelming uh, amount of times that John uses numbers in the book of Revelation, they refer to literal times and distinctions. So that's his precedent. Very few times is it vague or general. And, and, and never is it just symbolic. So let me give you some examples. In uh, chapter 2, verse 10 of the book of Revelation, it refers to a literal 10 days. In chapter 7, verse 4, and also in chapter 14, verse 1, He speaks about a literal 144,000 Jewish evangelists. In chapter 9, verses 5 and verse 10, he talks about five months. These are specific times. In chapter 9, verse 16, 200 million. Literal numbers. In chapter 11, verse 2, In chapter 13, verse 5, he speaks about 42 months. And if I'm going too fast for you, I apologize. You'll kind of have to rewind uh, or listen to it again, which is what I usually end up uh, having to do. But in in chapter 11, verse 3, in chapter 12, verse 6, speaks about a literal 1,260 days. But there are also times when John mentions a general nonspecific time, but he identifies it as such. In chapter 6, verse 11, he uses the term a little longer. In chapter 12, verse 12, 
he uses the term a little time. So when Jesus gave the revelation to John, he gave literal times when he wanted literal, uh, when he wanted a, a literal time communicated, and he gave general times when he intended for a general period of time. So it's laid out very clear in the use of numbers. In chapter 20, verse 3, it says, at the end of 1,000 years, and then it goes on to say, he was loosed for a little while. So that's an example of both a literal and a general nonspecific time used in the same verse. So my question is, if the 1,000 years only symbolized a long period of time, why didn't Jesus say so when he was very clear about literal and general all along the way? In chapter 20, verse 8, it uses uh, language like this, as numberless as the sand along the seashore. So when it's literal and specific, John states it that way. And when it's uh, general or figurative, he states it as well. John was consistent as to the specific and the general, and this points to a literal 1,000-year millennium. Another reason that I'm a premillennialist is God's covenants. God's covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, the, the Davidic covenant, the land covenant, the new covenant. Let's talk about God's covenants because they really tie into this millennium, this literal 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, it speaks about the, the Abrahamic covenant, when God gave the, the call and the covenant to Abram. The scripture says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who who treat you with contempt. Here it is. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. There's four key parts to the Abrahamic covenant. And I want to read to you from Genesis 15, a couple chapters over, verse 18. Genesis 15, verse 18. The scripture says, So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants. And then he goes on to, to lay out the border of the promised land. So God is sealing the Abrahamic covenant with land. I have given this land to your descendants. Four keys to the Abrahamic covenant. God promised Number one, he would bless Abram personally. Number two, that the whole world would be blessed through Abram. Number three, that he would give Abram many descendants, like the sand on the seashore, and that he would give Abram and his descendants a specific piece of land that would be their covenant land 
forever. And that's why Satan, throughout history, he's tried to steal that land and destroy that land and uh, divide it. Uh, uh, it's gone on. Why, why, was, why does Satan work so hard throughout history to steal and destroy that land? Well, because of, number one, the covenant of God includes that land with his people. Then you have the, the issue of the authenticity of Scripture and the historicity of Bible prophecy. So if Satan can steal or destroy that land, he messes with the covenant of God. He calls the authenticity of Scripture into question and the historicity of Bible prophecy into question. So he fights to no avail in the end really hard to, to steal God's covenant land from his people. You see, the central theme of Bible prophecy is Israel, the Jewish people, and Jerusalem. The first three parts of the Abrahamic covenant have been fulfilled literally. So that means if the first three parts of the Abrahamic covenant have been fulfilled literally, so will the fourth that he would give Abraham and his descendants a specific piece of land that would be their covenant land forever. That's the key word. And this is how we know that the millennium didn't start with the birth of Christ. Because the fourth part of the Abrahamic covenant hasn't been literally fulfilled yet, like the first three parts have been literally fulfilled. After the second coming, it will be completely fulfilled in the millennium. Let's talk about the Davidic covenant, the covenant that God made with David in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with a rod like any father would do, but my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. God promised David that one of his descendants would sit upon that throne forever, and that is Jesus. And that is fulfilled. Let's look into Luke chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. He'll reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So covenant understanding further weakens the other two views, the 
amillennial view and the post-millennial view, because they state that the millennium began after the first coming and ends at the second coming, when clearly Scripture is laying out a different sequence in timeline. So I hope this has been helpful to you, building your faith in this premillennial understanding of the millennium. You know, in Galatians chapter 3, we're talking about the covenants that God made with his people. And in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29, it lays out the reality that if you're living in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're the seed of Abraham also. Galatians 3, 26 to 29. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me stop. How do you become children of God? Through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 27. And all who have been who have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. I I read that wrong. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Verse 28 goes on to say that, now for those who have put on Christ through faith in Jesus Christ, verse 28, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, You are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Hallelujah. God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. That's good news. Are you the seed of Abraham? The only way that you become the seed of Abraham is through faith in Christ Jesus identifying with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Have you made that commitment? Have you actually prayed a prayer of repentance where you turned away from your sin and you said yes to the free offer of salvation offered through Jesus Christ? This is the most important question that I can ask and the most important thing that we could ever talk about on any podcast. Are you sure? Let me ask it to you a different way. If you died today, do you know for sure that you would spend eternity with Jesus in heaven? If your answer to that question is anything other than a resounding yes, I want you to pray a prayer with me. And if you repeat this prayer after me from a place of sincerity in your heart, you can know this very day that you have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. You are his heir, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. I want you to have that today. You can have it by repeating this simple prayer of salvation after me. Would you pray this prayer? Just say this, say, Heavenly Father, I admit that I've sinned. I believe Jesus died for my sins, 
and he rose from the grave to give me victory over sin and death. I confess my sinfulness. I repent. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and make me a new person. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, welcome to the family of God. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when you prayed that prayer with me, you called on the name of the Lord. So by the authority of God's holy word, you're saved. You're born again. And you're on your way to heaven because you have Jesus in your heart. And if you prayed that prayer with me, please go to my website at RevivalNow.com. RevivalNow.com. When you go to the website, you'll find a big red button on the front page that says, I just got saved. Click that button, and it'll take you to a place where you can view some video resources that I prepared for you to help you get started in your Christian life. And if you'll fill out your contact information, we're going to send some resources to you to help you get started in your Christian life. So just go to RevivalNow.com, click I just got saved, and follow the prompts from there. Well, I trust this, is, uh, this uh, episode has been a blessing to you. This is why I'm a pre-millennial, premillennialist unapologetically. Thank you for joining me on the episode. Make sure you share it with all your friends. And uh, keep tuning in as I'm, I'm committed to giving good, solid biblical teaching that will encourage you and strengthen you and help you to become all that God destined for you to be. So until next time, be blessed in Jesus' name.